Today on Physically Spiritual, I have the honor of talking once again to Nick Delatore about his new book, The Eucharist, The Ultimate Love Story Unveiled. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to the show, Nick. It is a true pleasure and honor to be here, Andrew. You're the first two-time guest on the show. <laughs> it's the privilege of the president of Awaken Catholic because, well, when you call, I know you can just cancel the show if you want to, so I got to say <laughs> yes to you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. really excited about this. Nick's first book is coming out. Like I said, The Eucharist, The Ultimate Love Story Unveiled, and there's nothing more physically spiritual than the Eucharist. Mm. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ so in its nature, and its essence, it's physical and spiritual, mm-hmm. but then also it's a sacrament. Mm-hmm. So it's a physical sign that communicates grace to us. Mm-hmm. So in its, both in its uh, sacramentality, but then also in its sort of physicality, it's both physically spiritual. Um, so with every guest, I like to just start with their story. Mm. You name this book, The Eucharist, The Ultimate Love Story Unveiled. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I thought... Is this like the love story of Christ in the church or is this the love story of Nick and God? (laughs) And so I'm curious, like how, where in your life did this book come from? Well, that's a really good question. I think the answer is yes. I think it's both. Mm. Um, But you only get pieces of the love story between Nick and God. So the theory, the working theory here is that this book, um, and if you see it, if you're watching the video version of this, it's, it's physically a small book. Uh, so the premise is that there will be uh, a series of these in what throughout which I will be kind of putting together pieces of the puzzle of what God has done in my own life um, while in the context of each individual book uh, kind of breathing life into different topics of Catholicism and, and things that people kind of misunderstand and you know we're in this period of Eucharistic revival here in the United States of America and it just felt like there's no better place to start, especially because it's, to me, the, the greatest tragedy. Of all the topics that Catholics misunderstand, it's the greatest tragedy to me that the Eucharist is misunderstood because it is God. And so um, it's I wanted to kind of attack that head on. Yeah. Yeah, a series of books. So you're saying this is going to have some, like, shelf appeal. That's the idea. As Librophile, like, there's, there's nothing more, or I guess Bibliophile might be the better word, there's nothing more that I love than books on my bookshelf that all match. Yes, yeah, and and create that nice crisp appearance. Mm-hmm. So, even if you just want pretty things on your bookshelf, people pick up a <laughs> copy of the book. You can get it in the show notes. Yeah, um, yeah. That misunderstanding of the Eucharist. I know, and your story is a conversion story. Mm-hmm. So, what was your misunderstanding of the Eucharist? I think it starts with a misunderstanding of ourselves. I didn't. I didn't understand myself. I didn't understand. Uh, my worth. I didn't understand my role in the the grand cosmic scheme of things. Uh, so in other words, I didn't have a sense of why I mattered. I didn't have a sense of who God was or is and, and why that should matter to me, why I might matter to him. And so in chapter one of the book, uh, one of the first things I talk about is the word sacrament you know, where, what is, where does that come from? Why do Catholics use that terminology? And I really kind of get into a theological, and this is a brief paragraph and a half within that chapter. I do a dive into 
understanding what it is we are as human beings in the context of the rest of creation, what is unique about humanity. And all of it has to do directly with the intended relationship that we're meant to have with God. Um, why are we different than the angels? Because of the relationship we're meant to have with God. Why are we different than the plants and animals and rocks here on earth? Because of the relationship we're meant to have with God. So to me, it starts there that like we walk around day to day and we have no idea what it is we are. Um, and, and those of us who have some kind of a theological background or philosophical and, and we understand some of these things at some point, we get distracted and we forget the dignity of what it is that I am walking around in this world. So, yeah. Yeah. The Eucharist is human food, right? Well, we call it the bread of angels, mm -hmm. but it's, it's made for us. Right. So we have a toddler, um, you know, I'm Solanus and, mm -hmm. and he, um, he likes to eat our cat's food and, or use the cat's food in his play kitchen to do some cooking. So, mm -hmm. so we're consistently pounding the distinction between cat food and human food. Mm -hmm into his little, little brain and he's slowly picking up on it. So, um, but I, I say that because I've, I've done some reflecting on the show on almost like a, a, the Eucharist from the perspective of anthropology mm -hmm. of like ancient humanity, what their drives were, what their needs were, what, what the Eucharist says to human nature. Um, and so I think that point point so essential that, that the Eucharist is fitted, it's suited for humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it, it answers the deepest need of the human heart. It answers the deepest need of the human body and the deepest need of the human mind. Mm -hmm. um, like it, it, it holistically addresses our human condition. Um, and part of that condition, you know, it helps to illuminate the contrast between what we are and what everything else is. You know, yeah. you don't see lizards having... Uh, depression and, you know, these existential crises, you know, a lizard is just doing lizardy things all day long. Right. But we see the world today, the, the landscape of humanity, and it's like, something's off. Like, like mm -hmm. there is just, there's so much pain and confusion. And, um, you know, at the time of recording this violence, uh, in, in a way that's very prominent in the news right now in Israel. And, it's like lizards aren't going to war with each other, you know, and I don't know why I'm fixating on lizards right now, but, but the, just the idea that there is something fundamentally unique about us that compels us into these more profound concerns and more profound sources of need. Um, it kind of reminds me of C.S. Lewis, I believe it was that said in mere Christianity, um, that if I have a hunger for something that is not of this world, then it must be that I was made not just for this world or something to that effect, yeah, yeah. you know? And so we uniquely in creation to the best of our understanding are physical and spiritual in nature and rational. And, and so we have a, a part of what we are, a part of our nature that has needs. And I don't want to create like a dualistic premise that like this part of me has this need and this part of me has this need. Like we, in a composite way, need to eat to survive. And we also need relationship with God to survive. We need love to survive. You know, you, you even can see that in a lot of psychological tests that have been done when a baby is deprived of intimacy with the mother, there's a direct impact on the well-being of that baby, yeah. right? Well, why is that? If the physical needs are met, but, but the absence of the mother's intimacy 
has such a fundamental impact on the baby. Like there's something a lot more profound at play than simply chemical reactions and the material need for nutrition. Um, and so we, we were made for relationship with God as much as we were made to need to eat. Those are part of how we were made and we equally were made for relationship with God. And when you re remove that, really terrible things happen. Hmm. Yeah. I love that argument from desire of C.S. Lewis of like, our very longing for heaven is evidence of its existence. Right. Yeah. You can't long for something that doesn't exist, uh, at least conceptually. So the, um, the, this, this place of longing, the other, the other thing I've reflected on recently is, um, the fact that our, our nature to some extent is changed as a result of what God has done for us. Mm. Right. So in baptism, where we become adopted sons and daughters of God, right? We're all in a sense, a son and daughter of God by creation, mm -hmm. but this is, uh, taken up to a, a new pitch, a new level in our baptism. And, and it's also the beginning of, of our theosis, our deification of becoming like God. We become an indwelling of the Holy spirit. We become, um, like God, we receive the theological virtues, mm -hmm. uh, which are infusions of the divine life into our faculties. Um, so, so in a sense, the effect of baptism is such that we literally need a new kind of food <laughs> because we're a new kind of creature Yes. as a result of that sacrament, right? And the church has always held the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist together. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this is when somebody comes into the church after being an adult, they receive all three or, or young children in the Eastern rites of the church mm -hmm. receive all three. Um, even when, even as young children, as babies. Yeah. Reading through this book or if, what, what struck me first and foremost, and I actually wasn't expecting it digging into it was it's really like a scripture book. It's a scripture commentary in mm. many ways. Each chapter takes a scripture about the Eucharist and then you give a really deep yet accessible commentary on that scripture in reference to how it's prefiguring Christ or anticipating the Eucharist or how it's directly explaining the Eucharist or giving evidence of the Eucharist in an apologetic way. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, like, how did you pick the scriptures mm -hmm. that went into the book? Did you just like ask chat GPT, give me the top no. 10 about the Eucharist or? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, my brother asked me, Hey, did you, cause he didn't read it at the time of asking me this. He was like, Hey, did you use AI to work on this book at all? I was like, uh, yeah, I wrote the whole thing. I was, I was joking. Uh, I didn't, it, chat GPT, any form of AI didn't touch this book. Um, but no, I, um, for years, because of the, the zeal that I felt for the sacraments generally, and in particular for the Eucharist, when I came back to faith, um, for years, whether it was like sitting at a coffee shop with someone and just sharing my testimony and, and the faith with them, answering questions one-on-one, -on -one, or into my ministry in the parish environment or at the diocesan level or speaking in front of crowds, I just kind of started to find um, these threads that I could connect uh, in what's called biblical typology, uh, for those listeners or viewers that, that aren't familiar, it's it's all over Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There are these really clear points of connection where something was prefiguring something else. You know, in so many ways, Moses was what's called a type, right? In this biblical typology, a type of Christ that he was a messianic figure, um, and so a lot about Moses's life. Uh, kind of emulated what we would see later in Christ. You know, he was 
almost killed in an infant genocide, just like Christ almost was. He saves the people of God from slavery to the Egyptians. Christ saves the people of God from slavery to sin. You know, there's so many things like that that we can point to. But anyways, over the course of my time uh, talking about the Eucharist with people, there are there's a lot in Scripture that we could look at to talk about the Eucharist. But I find so much more powerful helping to illustrate a particular narrative that's taking place rather than just proof texting like this thing means this, this thing means that, and it all defends my my viewpoint. Instead, it's so much more interesting and really more relevant to understand in the context of the narrative of the love story between God and the church, the bride, to understand the role that the Eucharist played in the context of all of that. And, you know, we hear all the time, um, and maybe maybe you've not heard it as much, viewer, listener, I don't know, but but I've heard a lot in my life, the language of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. Uh, but it's really easy to accidentally look at that as just like this metaphor that occasionally gets used or whatever, when in fact, a close study of scripture reveals it isn't an allegory, it's not a metaphor, it's a profound truth that Christ is the bridegroom. That's what scripture presents to us. And so to me, the Eucharist directly connects to that narrative of that love story. You know, the first paragraph of the catechism of the Catholic Church says that um, at every time and in every place, God is reaching out to us. And that to me is like everything. Everything that I will ever teach or anything any, any one of us could ever study or learn, come to learn about the faith and a relationship with God, it starts there, that he is the first mover, right? He is the gentleman that is courting the bride. Yeah. Um, and so the Eucharist and, and all of the passages that I use from the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's that story of, of Christ, God, courting us um, and and wanting to give of himself to us uh, in a very real, physical, sacramental, spiritual way. Yeah, that that idea of typology, I think, is so essential, not just as a historical reality, but also as a description of our present life, mm. right? Because there's all these Old Testament figures, Moses, Adam, Abraham, David, et cetera, et cetera, and, and they reflect Christ in various ways, anticipate Christ in various ways. But in a real way, I feel like we are called to be a type of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, it's implied in the word Christian. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like you said there, that that life that God gives us, that grace that God gives us, is really calling us into like a modern day typology. Mm. And I'm, I'm called to be Christ as Andrew in my life, with my family, with my job, with the context that I have. But to really be sort of a, a new way the incarnation is in the world as a result of God's grace, right? But, but we're absolutely dependent on, I believe, the Eucharist to accomplish that, mm. whether or not we physically receive it, right? Because I think there's, a, there's a, 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 a generosity in God that's beyond our conception, Right. So, so this is something I pondered a lot during the Eucharistic revivals. We have different ways of receiving the Eucharist mm-hmm. by spiritual communion and Eucharistic adoration with our eyes and then in the mass and then actually then going to communion and, and they're, they're, they're nested in each other like one of them Russian dolls, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, 
Well, so say, to go say, to communion is to receive him through the mass, through adoration, and also mm-hmm. through, um, through a spiritual communion. But I, I think in, in a real way, there's a grace through spiritual communion that people receive that don't even believe in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. right? Because they have a desire to receive Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a way that, that what we're doing in the Catholic Church even overflows, I think, into their life in some small way, mm-hmm. some minuscule little bit. Um, and, and so I've come to realize how dependent and utterly hopeless I am without the Eucharist. Um, and that's something that's been new in the different seasons of my life. What the Eucharist has meant to me has changed as I've come to a deeper realization of who I am, of who God is and of how much he loves me. Uh, so I'm just curious, like after writing this book in this season of your life, like what does the Eucharist mean to you? Sure. So St. Paul, um, I'll begin my answer to that by responding to what you were just sharing. Mm-hmm. St. Paul makes a beautiful case for what you were just proposing about that, you know, even in Christ, we almost it's almost like we see a type of what we are meant to become, right? Mm-hmm. And so St. Paul, it, he points to um, the crucifixion when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. And how did he love his church? He, he died to himself. He made a gift of his body to his bride on the cross. And that is something that we are meant to um, embody in our pursuit of being the best husbands that we can be, the best leaders that we can be, the best um, uh, missionaries that we can be uh, in whatever our mission field is, whether the mission field is your household or your, your, your job environment, whatever, uh, we're meant to love as Christ loved, right? And so that's a beautiful example of what you were talking about that's clearly defined by St. Paul. Um, but, you know, in connection to that, the the chapter that um, was kind of caught me off guard and the thing that I keep, my head keeps going back to whenever I think about the experience of writing the book and the number of times I've had to reread it in the editing process, it's the chapter on the crucifixion because it's also the chapter in which I talk about marriage and I talk about my wedding day. And uh, a little bit of a spoiler for the book generally, uh, one of those biblical typological things that I illustrate is the connection between uh, the Passover in the book of Exodus and the Last Supper, where explicitly in the Passover, uh, we have this instruction to the Israelites to protect their households from the angel of death. They have to slaughter an unblemished lamb eat the flesh of the unblemished lamb with unleavened bread and spread the blood of the lamb on the lintel of their homes. But the spreading the blood of the lamb on the lintel is the only thing you generally hear about. It's the only thing people remember when, you know, I, I literally ask every audience I'm in front of, what was the instruction given to them? And the only answer that's given consistently is spreading the blood of the lamb on the lintel. And it's not surprising to me that the rest of it was diminished because it's so Catholic. And so nobody wants you to think about it. But of course, it's wildly profound that one of the instructions by God to protect from death was to eat the flesh of the lamb with unleavened bread. And at the Last Supper, Christ is the lamb of sacrifice that would then be sacrificed on the cross. And the lamb of sacrifice has become unleavened bread, right? And so we, we see this beautiful poeticism where all of these things that that seemed disconnected maybe put it through the lens of this ultimate love story you start to see that they are blatantly connected the reason that's relevant 
to marriage is that in marriage, uh, we make vows. And so if we were to summarize the vows, it's essentially to say, I give all of myself for you. I give all of myself to you. And then in order for that vow, that commitment, that, that covenant to be cemented, you have to make those words become flesh in the carnal union, right? Um, and that's how you cement, that's how you like put a seal on that covenant. And so where is that marriage in the context of this, this narrative between Christ and the church? Well, the vow is at the Last Supper when he says, this is my body, which will be given up for you, right? So he's saying the same thing we're saying on our wedding days, I give you all of myself. And then those words become flesh on the cross where he gives all of himself for us. And he is, he is the definitive unblemished lamb, right? And so as I reflected on that and I started going into my own wedding day, um, and this is how the chapter begins, I was standing at the foot of the altar my, my soon-to-be bride is walking towards me down the center aisle with her locked arms with her, her father. And she just looks beautiful. And it's such an incredible moment. And then it was tarnished by um, a spewing of lies that I started to receive from the depths of hell. Because of my background where... Uh, before my conversion, I, I was living a very debaucherous life and I was, um, you know, very promiscuous and, and it was a, a hot mess. And the, the things that I started hearing as I'm watching my, my soon-to-be bride walk towards me down the aisle, organ and trumpet playing and just beautiful, everyone there is celebrating. And I'm hearing, you're not good enough. What you have to offer her is disgusting. And it was really like, what is happening right now? Like, this is, this is supposed to be the best day of my life. Like, what the crap is this? But the amazing thing about the sacraments is that if we allow them to, the, through the sacraments, God, his grace obliterates shame. But these lies were trying to make me forget the grace of the sacraments, these lies. And I have been at this point forgiven. I have been redeemed. I've gone to confession. I've received absolution. I've been on an incredible journey of healing. And it was like this last ditch effort, you know, of the enemy to, to mess with me and to take the joy and the beauty away from this moment. But it didn't take long for that grace to come to my aid when I, when I recalled it and I allowed it to. And it was that grace that reminded me in that moment that redeemed person you are, that healed person, that is the gift you're offering her today. And that was like, I was typing this sitting at a bar at Easy Street Cafe at the lunch hour, surrounded by people rubbing shoulders up against each other. I'm sitting there with my laptop and a Diet Coke, and I'm just weeping while I'm typing this. <laughs> um, but that's that to me is like, that's the power of the Eucharist is that like God offers us his very self and what he has to offer us is perfect. Mm -hmm. What he has to offer us is purely goodness. 
And we just have to be willing to receive that. We have, you know, we receive it in a sense, regardless of whether or not we're aware of what's happening, right? But if we can attune our hearts and minds to that, uh, when we when we receive, man, powerful stuff. What's landed on that? Okay, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So everyone out there, get more Eucharist in your life. Yeah. Maybe you can't make it to mass every day, or as often as you'd like. Get the adoration. I know in our diocese, our bishop has asked every church to offer Eucharistic adoration on a weekly basis. Um, and many churches offering it now 24-7. And if you can't make it to the church, you can always make a spiritual communion. Mm. You know, and I think living this kind of Eucharistic spirituality, where we receive the Eucharist in the way that we can, as often as we can, it prepares us for that moment of physically receiving the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we habituate ourselves toward toward the reception of our Lord um, at the altar by living a life of receiving our Lord moment to moment. Um, and uh, go get yourself a copy. The pre-order is available, the Eucharist, The Ultimate Love Story Unveiled by Nick Delatore, forward by Dr. Christopher West. It'll be in the show notes. God bless everyone. If you would like to pre-order Nick's book, The Eucharist, The Ultimate Love Story Unveiled, visit catholicmerch.store and be one of the first to receive your very own copy. Join us October 20th at 6 p.m. for a special book launch party at the Awaken Theater in Bowling Green, Ohio. Click the link in the description to learn more and RSVP to the party. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Physically Spiritual. I'm so grateful for every moment you've given to this show. Please remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the show. And if you want to support Everything we're doing at Physically Spiritual or at Awaken Catholic, you can become a patron of the show at physicallyspiritual.com. To find anything I'm up to, head over to becominggift.com. God bless everyone.